Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 106. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Now, more than any other time, now is a time to stay vigilant. It's all or nothing. No steps toward. All or fucking nothing. Again, righteousness porn. And I've been thinking about this a lot, just in general. I I just, I don't know that I want to be associated with any party. I really, I think I don't want to be associated with any party anymore. It just, it comes with too much baggage. Every party, it comes with so much fucking baggage that no ideas can be taken at face value. And without ideas, what are we? Without a common truth, how can we talk about it? You know, Republicans might hear an idea that they would totally agree with, but if it comes from AOC, then they hate it. And of course, you know, to be honest, when I hear an idea that comes from a Republican, it's suspect to me. We all put we all put too much shit on this stuff. We no longer are able to be a nation of ideas. Preach, Sarah Silverman, preach. We hear you. We also don't want to be associated with any party anymore. We are many and we are growing by the day. And you are welcome to join me on this show anytime. But I'm not yet willing to give up on us being a nation of ideas. I hear you. But despite the madness of the last four years, I'm still not willing to give up on our ability to come together, to generate big ideas, and to get big things done. For a long time now, we've been down. For four years, we've been down. Down by a lot. But that's finally changing now. Finally. Just when America needed a rally the most, it's finally happening. Welcome to March Madness. March Madness is finally here. The time to leave it all on the court. To leave it all out there. This month is the time to leave it all out there. It's March Madness. It's a time for teamwork. On the basketball court, of course, but fighting the virus especially, and in Washington. And maybe there are some issues we can finally unite around. Fighting the virus, hopefully infrastructure, maybe supporting veterans, increasingly decriminalizing cannabis. And maybe there's one other issue that is particularly timely this spring that we can actually work together on. Daylight savings. Yeah. As Americans turned our clocks to spring forward an hour into daylight savings time this past weekend, a bipartisan group of senators is working to get rid of this twice-yearly clock change once and for all. Finally, it's called the Sunshine Protection Act of 2021, because now even sunlight needs protecting. It would make daylight savings time permanent. What a great idea, right? With this change, 
the majority of the U.S. would not fall back again in November. Hawaii and parts of Arizona already smartly don't observe this stupid time change. But the bill was introduced by Senators Rubio from Florida, a Republican, Lankford from Oklahoma, a Republican, Blunt from Missouri, a Republican, Whitehouse from Rhode Island, a Democrat, Wyden from Oregon, a Democrat, Hyde Smith, a Republican from Mississippi, Rick Scott, a Republican from Florida, and Ed Markey, Democrat from Massachusetts. That's not the starting lineup from the oldest team in March Madness history. It's actually a crew of senators working together on something, working to make daylight savings permanent and give us all an hour of sunshine back during the winter when we all need it the most. So maybe sunshine can be a nonpartisan issue. And maybe in 2021, we can get back to getting big stuff done, important stuff, hopefully across partisan lines. But maybe we can get things done now, even if there isn't bipartisan support. Yes, as March Madness unfolds, COVID reinforcements are on the way. Maybe you've already gotten a relief check via direct deposit. Maybe your local school is getting more help to improve ventilation. Maybe you got a vaccine shot at a VA hospital that now has the vaccine. But that COVID relief bill passed only due to the Democratic majority. It only passed 50 to 49. But if Biden can govern from the center, and stay focused on the right targets, America can still get big things done. It's why I thought he was the right candidate so long ago. And in his first primetime speech as president, Biden set exactly the right tone and gave a truly excellent speech. I promise I will do everything in my power. I will not relent until we beat this virus. But I need you. The American people, I need you. I need every American to do their part. And that's not hyperbole. I need you. I need you to get vaccinated when it's your turn and when you can find an opportunity. And to help your family, your friends, your neighbors get vaccinated as well. Because here's the point. If we do all this, if we do our part, if we do this together, By July the 4th, there's a good chance you, your families and friends, will be able to get together in your backyard or in your neighborhood and have a cookout and a barbecue and celebrate Independence Day. Finally, in a time of crisis, a president is asking us to help. That's what we needed after 9-11 and never got. That's what we needed one year ago and never got. That is leadership. And that is how we win against the virus. One team, one fight. It was a powerful, sobering, thoughtful message from President Biden. And there was another big message to America and to the world. America is not fucking around anymore. We're going to beat this thing here at home. Then we're coming to help others around the world. And America is ready to lead again. Tonight... I'm announcing that I will direct all states, tribes, and territories to make all adults, people 18 and over, eligible to be vaccinated no later than May 1. Let me say that again. All adult Americans will be eligible to get a vaccine no later than May 1. May 1st. Everyone in America will be eligible by May 1st. It doesn't mean everyone in America will get it by May 1st but everyone will be eligible. It's a big 
ambitious, motivating, correct goal for Americans to shoot for and hope for. It wasn't really a speech from Biden. It was more like a briefing, an update, a leader sharing the plan. It was really well done, and it was exactly what we needed right now. He talked to us like grown-ups, like teammates, and with respect. And maybe he's been listening to this show. Beating this virus and getting back to normal depends on national unity. And national unity isn't just how politics and politicians vote in Washington, or what the loudest voices say on cable or online. Unity is what we do together as fellow Americans. Because if we don't stay vigilant and the conditions change, then we may have to reinstate restrictions to get back on track. And please, we don't want to do that again. We've made so much progress. Stay vigilant. That was another of Biden's key messages. Maybe he has been listening to this show. And he's right. We are making progress. And only vigilance will ensure that that progress continues. Because vigilance is the price of democracy. And we've already paid so much. But we can pay a little more. For the safety of others, for the sake of our economy, for the security of our nation, for the promise of our future. And for an epic party on July 4th. The likes of which this country hasn't seen since the end of World War II. Keep your eyes on the prize, people. The prize is our VC Day on July 4th. The Independence Day thing was genius and the best reframing of Independence Day in modern American history. And of course, I especially appreciate him recognizing our day as independence. He set a goal. And most of all, he set the tone for all of us. I said to foreign leaders and domestic alike, It's never, ever a good bet to bet against the American people. America is coming back. The development, manufacturing, distribution of vaccines in record time is a true miracle of science. It's one of the most extraordinary achievements any country has ever accomplished. And we also just saw the Perseverance rover land on Mars. Stunning images of our dreams that are now reality. It's never, ever a good bet to bet against the American people. That's like a tattoo, man. America is coming back. We are coming back. It's a long road, but we're on the comeback, and we can do big things. This is a war against the virus, and until recently, we've been pretty good at wars. And we also just landed a crazy-ass robot on Mars, and we have Beyonce, and now legal weed in most places. Yeah, Trump fucked America up pretty bad. But we're building it back, and it's awesome. And this plan from Biden will create jobs and turn our economy around. It'll create tons of good jobs and catapult us to lead the world economy again and do it as true helpers. Not by selling sugar and bullshit or weapons, but by selling health and hope. If you get a job in the vaccination business now, you can be pretty sure you'll have a job and growing opportunity for at least the next decade and maybe forever. You'll have job opportunities around the world. 
and many people will be able to get an even better job than they had before. And this one will also save lives. Joining the fight against the virus is a chance to do well and do good. This is the United States of America. And there's nothing, nothing, from the bottom of my heart, I believe this, there's nothing we can't do when we do it together. So God bless you all. And please, God, give solace to all those people who lost someone. And may God protect our troops. Thank you for taking the time to listen. I look forward to seeing you. That's how he ended the speech. He said, thank you for taking the time to listen. I look forward to seeing you. It was like a coach giving us a pep talk at halftime. It was like a grandfather talking to his grandkids. It was like a cowboy saying goodbye. But it was nice to have a president appreciate our time. There's a new sheriff in town, and change is in the air. You can hear it in his words. You can see it for yourself outside your window, and you can feel it in your arm. This week, I finally did. I got vaccinated, and I posted this video as soon as I got out. All right, I got the shot. Shot number one, down. Woohoo! It was really easy, really smooth. Took like 20 minutes, uh, maybe half an hour, less than an hour total. Uh, exactly on time, totally smooth running. Everything from parking to checkout, really well done. Props to everybody at the state of New York. Props to the National Guard, all the volunteers, everybody running this facility. Uh, just want to thank everybody for all they're doing to keep each other safe. And go get the shot. It was easy. It was painless. It was less painful than every other shot I ever got in the Army, and there were a lot of those. So go out, get the shot as soon as you can, spread the word, tell people there's nothing to fear, and we'll have a great summer and better days ahead. Do it for each other. Uh, do it for your kids. Do it for America. Uh, get the shot. Don't be a chicken squat. Get the shot and stay vigilant. That was me in a cold-ass parking lot filled with warmer hearts. So do it. Do it for your community, for your family, for yourself, for your country. There's nothing to fear. Protect yourself and others and do your part. Get the shot. And attention must be paid. And information like this must be shared. Because spring is here. And reinforcements are here. And hope is here. And the vaccine is here. But the game is not over. I got the shot. Maybe you got the shot. Or maybe you're getting it soon. Or maybe you're waiting to get it soon. But some still won't. And it's frustrating. I know. I'm getting it from some in my family. Some who are very close to me. Some who are scared. Some who are cautious. Some who have been fed the bullshit. Some who think they know better than the greatest scientists in the world. And it's frustrating. Frustrating as hell. Especially when someone you love, someone you don't want to see sick, someone you don't want to get others sick, is refusing to get the shot. It's infuriating. And if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. So now, more than ever, attention must be paid to what is done and said in the media and online and in our communities, around our dinner tables, on Zoom. Why won't people get the shot? Pay attention to what they're saying. Listen to what they're feeling. And work on it. Share good information. Share hope. 
and share the teamwork because we need them all to win this game. Because especially at this critical time in our recovery, stakes is high. Stakes is high. This is not over, and attention must be paid to getting everyone vaccinated and making our country stronger because we still have enemies rooting for us to fail. Enemies like Kim Jong un, enemies like ISIS, enemies like the Proud Boys, enemies like Vladimir Putin. More on that coming up with our guest. But especially now, in the midst of March Madness, attention must be paid. America is still very much at war against the virus. As I said in the last pod, either you're with us or you're against us. Either you're with America or you're with the virus. Either you're with America or you're with the extremists. Either you're helping America win or you're helping America lose. And this is our final four game against the virus that we can't afford to lose. It's not just lose or go home. It's lose and be dead. And we've finally taken the lead. Our full court press is working. We can win this thing. We were down, but now we're back in front. We just got to play good defense. We got to keep the pressure up and don't blow the lead. We can see the shine of the trophy. We can almost taste the champagne. We can get there if we just stay vigilant. Because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom and the price of victory. And March Madness is here. And in our big spring run to the championship, and in our quest to stay vigilant and spread good information like a Dick Vitale of Podcast Energy, I will continue to bring you guests that can pass the ball, play good defense, and hit the big shot. Leaders who can get you ready for the big game with the information you need to stay strong and healthy and in the game until we win it all. And to stay in a leadership role, whether it's in your job or your community or just in your car. Whether you're the number one seed like Gonzaga or the number 65 seed like Mount St. Mary's. We're all in this together, especially when both parties are failing us. One obviously much more than the other, but a time when the media is failing us. And so many of our leaders are failing us. We've got to stick together and play team ball. Now is the time for vigilance, for unity, for teamwork, and of course, the five eyes. Our fab five of eyes. Independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. This is the time when more and more of us are independent Americans. And as we dug into in past episodes, we still need to find and share the hope because hope is the oxygen of democracy. And hope is out there. And it's rising and surging. There's more coming every single day. The vaccine represents that hope. I saw it when I got it. And the new COVID relief bill represents that hope. Checks are out and coming. And you represent that hope. Because so many have been vigilant, there is hope. And every week, there is more and more hopeful news. Last week, we found out fully vaccinated grandparents can safely visit with unvaccinated grandchildren. And this weekend, my mom will spend her birthday with her grandkids. 
That's the hope we have. That's the hope we need. And there's more coming. Music venues are reopening. More schools are reopening. The hope is flowing. And that's the oxygen of our democracy. We can see the finish line now. We can feel the warmth of spring now. We can see more sunlight. We all know people who have gotten the vaccine now. The snow is almost gone. And March Madness, the basketball kind, is here. But we're not done yet. Hard days are still ahead. Sacrifice is still needed. The war is not over. So leave it all on the court. Make the fourth quarter your best quarter. And as always, more than any policy change, more than any election result or legislation passage, that help is each of us. Each of us has to contribute to the war effort. Each of us has to play team ball. Each of us has to unite against enemies, foreign and domestic, and especially in the war against the virus. The most important frontline response, the most important move on the court, is yours. The world is yours. The world is ours. And a better world is out there. We can see it. We just got to win this war. We've got to finish the game. And war of any kind is a team game. War against this virus is definitely a team game. And not just in America, worldwide. And as we come out of this most awful winter of our lifetime and launch into the most important spring we've ever known and maybe one of the most joyous summers there's ever been in this country, it's time to double and triple down on that teamwork. It's time for America to emerge stronger at the broken places. I'm glad President Biden liked that line as much as I do. Even if you're banged up, it's time to stay in the game and finish this. We're all starters on this team. Nobody's sitting on the bench as we push into the final quarter. Every war won, every championship banner raised, every vaccine created, every Mars landing executed, every victory has leaders who step up to meet the moment. Leaders who pass the ball and set picks. Leaders who rebound. Leaders who ask for the ball when the clock is running down. Leaders who make the sacrifices. Leaders who make everyone else on the team better. Leaders like so many of the voices we've had on this show. And leaders like our guest in this episode, Biana Golodriga. The best players are also coaches and analysts. The folks who can break down the game, the opponent, and the plays that must be run to win. And the best leaders motivate others, not by banging on their chest or by screaming in your face. The best leaders are the ones who lead by example. Biana Golodriga has been a thoughtful and trusted fixture in the media for two decades. She's CNN's dynamic global affairs analyst, an expert on Russia, a native Texan, a mother, and an inspiring American immigration story. She's been co-host of CBS This Morning, co-host of ABC's Good Morning America, and an anchor for Yahoo News. After migrating to the U.S. as a child from Moldova in the former Soviet Union, Biana grew up in Houston 
and began her journalism career as a producer for CNBC. She's interviewed major newsmakers from President Bill Clinton to Condoleezza Rice to Warren Buffett. And she went to high school with Beyonce, a good friend of my wife's named Kate, and Esteban Powell from the Texas classic Dazed and Confused. And Bianca joins us now on Independent Americans for a smart and fun conversation about the urgent issues at the top of America's bracket. We'll break through the spin and the complexity and also dig into how to survive in these hard times, parenting in the pandemic, and the importance of caffeine. March Madness is here, but not just the basketball tournament. Schools are reopening. Millions are finally getting the vaccine, and help from the government is on the way. But it's still a very dicey time. Texas is recovering from its lights going out. Biden has called Putin a killer and put new sanctions on Russia. And a young white man just murdered six Asian-American women in a brutal Atlanta-area shooting spree. March came in like a lion, and it's not letting up. And we've got an inspiring and deeply experienced guest to help take you through all of it. As we finally spring ahead and March Madness begins, Independent Americans is your number one seed in your bracket for fresh, trusted, independent news, politics, culture, and inspiration. We're going to continue to bring you a no-bullshit perspective you won't find anywhere else in the media, and one that always has a foundation in national security, leadership, patriotism, and social impact. Independent Americans are growing all across America, and they, you, will lead us out of this winter, into the spring, through the March Madness, and into the future. And more and more independent Americans are answering the call to serve and rising to meet this moment. And journalists will be some of the most important. We need journalists, especially now, to help put out good information, to tell us the truth, to demand the truth from our leaders, especially now, and especially after Trump. The media is one place. We need independent Americans now more than almost anywhere else. Journalists are another brand of independent Americans that can guide our country to a better future. The good journalists, the truly independent journalists, they're not partisans. They're also not the professional politicians. They're not the blowhard pundits. They're not the summer soldiers. They're the sunshine patriots, the true patriots, the ones who've been telling our stories and demanding answers from the people in charge, sharing the critical information we need, asking the hard questions, even when the commander-in-chief was calling them an enemy of the people, even when they were threatened, even when they were attacked. Journalists are another group of independent Americans who are fighting the hardest fights. They're our winter soldiers. They're real leaders. And they're some of the most important independent Americans of all. And they're the future of our nation. And they, now more than ever, must stay vigilant. Just like the rest of us. Especially now that March Madness is here. It can be disorienting, but spring is here. Our final four is here, and it's a spot we've earned, a spring we've been waiting for, a spring we've been dying for, a spring we've been doing the hard work for. Wearing masks and socially distancing and washing our hands are like late nights in the weight room and early morning shooting free throws, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of free throws. 
This is a spring we've earned. But March is madness, and it can make all of us feel dazed and confused. Dazed and Confused is a modern classic film. It's a look inside a high school in 1976 on the last day of school in Texas. And as I'll talk about with Biana, Texas is a reflection for America right now, good and bad. And this song is what plays at the very end of that classic film, at the hopeful end. They're all riding happily into an open road, a wide open road, with Matthew McConaughey behind the wheel of a 1970 Chevy Chevelle SS 454, black with white racing stripes. As graduation ends, and a class of seniors, and David Wooderson, who's like a 10th year senior, launches out into a brave new world, an open road, full of hope, full of possibility, and full of independence. Just like the summer we'll face if we stay vigilant and beat the virus. March Madness is a time of transition, when things go from 60 degrees and sunny one day to 15 degrees and snowing the next. It's the mud season. It's the season when you're sick of it. But it's the season when the birds start coming back. It's the season fishing starts. It's the season bears come out of hibernation. And it's the season when music venues are finally opening again. Facing down the virus and maybe other viruses might be our new normal. But madness doesn't have to be. We can approach the end of this crisis and others that might come at us with a cool head, strong leadership, and national unity. If we stay frosty, and if we stay together, one team, one fight. It's been a slow ride, but take it easy. We'll get there if we hang in there and if we stay vigilant. Welcome to spring. Welcome to better days. Welcome to the madness, March Madness. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 106. Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world, welcome to a very timely conversation. Schools are reopening. The world is in tumult. Uh, spring is here. And I want to continue to bring voices that can guide us out of the winter and into the spring uh, with insight and positivity. And I'm very pleased to have joining us today, someone I have admired uh, for a long time and I've known for a relatively short time, but I think it's a really important voice for this moment on many issues and an all around inspiring person. The great and powerful Biana Goladriga joins us on Independent Americans. Welcome, Biana. Great to be with you, Paul. I don't think I've ever been introduced as great and powerful, but I'll take it. You are great and powerful. <laughs> and like you're one of my, uh, my favorite people to follow on Twitter right now. And I want to talk with you about so many things. I want to talk about education and you've been covering school. Reopen. I want to talk about Texas and the, the chaos down there. I want to talk about uh, Russia 
and all things. I want to talk about the NBA because you're also an NBA fan. Um, but you are also, um, you know, really dedicated to family. You're a powerful uh, American immigration story. And I think you're just really insightful. But um, the first question I want to ask you uh, is, where are you and how are you? How are you and the folks near you dealing with this last year as we pass year, year one of the pandemic? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on. I've been a longtime admirer of yours. I believe I was at maybe a couple networks ago when I interviewed you. And um, I was just so blown away by your grace, your intellect, your personality, and your passion for this country and for um, our troops in particular. And uh, we have a connecting uh, mutual friend. So it was nice to make that connection as well, going back to Texas. But I am doing well. I mean, all things considered, I think we have to, in this year, start every sentence with, we're healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our marriage is good. <laughs> the kids are good. They're in school. Um, and, you know, we have weathered through this hell of a year. I mean, who could have imagined a year ago when, again, we saw what was happening overseas and, and we were covering it as a news industry and sort of, you know, oh, look, those poor Italian people as if this wasn't coming here and it was already here as we know. So it's, you know, it's been a year where you spent more time with family, which is a good thing. And we're fortunate that we can work from home. We know so many Americans didn't have that opportunity or were forced to work um, in, in very unsafe environments and we've been healthy. So mm-hmm. knock on wood, all things considered, we're good. I'm working from home. I'd never heard of Zoom. Like I really had, <laughs> my husband knew of it. He had me, I'd never heard of Zoom. Um, and now, you know, I'm in my bedroom, I'm on the opposite side of my bedroom. So it looks like I'm in a quasi desk area. Um, but it, it works and this is our, our new normal. And I guess the question is, we know we'll go back to the office at some point, but I, I kind of think that we've reevaluated how much travel we need in our lives, how much time we need to spend in the office. Um, all of that, I think is going to be, you know, some of the challenges we're facing ahead, but we're good. Well, I, I appreciate that perspective. And I think that's part of what um what 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 drives a lot of your insights is is you've had some pretty unique perspective and some deep perspective. And uh, we do have a, a common friend in, in in Kate that you know went, grew up with you in Houston mm-hmm. and was one of my wife's best friends in college. So a weird connection that we didn't realize until I looked it up. I think it was 2005. Uh, you were at Yahoo and you came into the IAVA headquarters in, in Midtown Manhattan at that time. Right, right. And we were talking about suicide, which hasn't gotten better and in many ways is getting worse in the pandemic. But um, you are, you know, you're, you're dabbling in many areas or focused on many areas effectively, but you're also a very interesting person. So I want to ask you a question I ask of all of our guests. Bianca, what is your favorite drink of choice? This is going to be so depressing. I actually don't even drink much alcohol anymore after I had my second child. I mean, I guess I assume everyone most pick alcohol, some sort of alcoholic beverage. Um, I drink iced tea and coffee. (laughs) We drink a lot of bubble water in this house, which is, you know, just sparkling water. And I on air called it bubble water. And my colleagues looked at me as crazy, but that was a, you know, five-year-old talking. But I would say anything between sparkling water with lemon in the morning to iced tea or coffee. Those are my three drinks of choice. None of them exciting. I, I feel you. I think those are essential. I mean, you have small kids. I have small kids. I feel like I'm monitoring my caffeine intake throughout the day. And like my coffee is my high test yeah. and my tea is like my unleaded and I'll sprinkle in like a buy or something else. Like in between, it's this regulation of, of my caffeine level to keep up with my kids. And my kids call it, uh, call it spicy if it's carbonated. 
Okay. My son keeps saying spicy. That's yeah. a good word. Yeah. yeah. I never drank iced tea. It's such an American thing. Like yeah. Russians never drink iced tea. And, and, um, and my husband always drank iced tea. So I guess if that's my quarantine drink, it's, um, I started drinking it and I never thought I would. I never enjoyed iced tea till now. You will appreciate it. It's an open-ended answer. So we've heard everything from moxie soda to, you know, hard whiskey and everything in between, but it helps us get to get to know you a little bit better. And you are a proud uh, daughter of Texas, right? Grew grew up there uh, after immigrating to this country as a teenager, right? I don't know how old you were. I was two. I was 18 months old. I was a baby. Excellent. Why people ask, why don't you have an accent? But, you know, as soon as they hear my parents and, you know, that they realize that I was a child and came here and my parents were fortunate enough to not only bring me to this great country, but um, to have the insight, I guess, and be outliers to move to Texas and and Houston and Galveston, I guess, when we first moved here. But, you know, not your traditional New York or Los Angeles or Chicago uh, places where many of the immigrants tend to go, especially from Russia. And so growing up in Texas... Um, and, and as a proud, you know, resident of Texas, I want to go deeper on that as, as we go forward, but Bianca, what was your very first car? A Subaru legacy. Mm. It was a hand-me-down. It was, um, my, my dad's car. So I drove that, um, for a few years. I mean, look in, in Texas, especially, you know, we always used to joke that that people that don't even have homes have to have a car because, it's just not a walkable city. It's such a huge city. It's so sprung out that you, you know, and, and at the time, my parents now live closer in town, but at the time I lived a good 45 minutes away from our mutual friend, Kate. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you have to drive, you have to have a driver's license. And it was one of those big things when you turn 16, you know, you get, you get wheels. Um, and it's interesting to see now, I think obviously in bigger cities like New York, but I think throughout the country because of ride sharing and public transportation, which is great. It seems like cars aren't that sort of essential coming of age mm. thing that, that, that we view them as, I would, I would think. Bianca, what year and what color was the Subaru? Oh, gosh, I don't know. So it would have been maybe it was a 92 because I got it in 95 or 96 and it was black. Mm. Okay. See, like I, I don't see, I don't remember seeing too many Subarus in Texas, maybe yeah. in Austin. Yeah. Like no, no, no. See- might see more of them in Austin than in Houston, right? Yeah. And then if you have a black one, that kind of like, I feel like it, it, it adds a little more heft to driving a Subaru in Texas. And you were, were you growing up in Texas? I guess it was a little bit before Dazed and Confused came out, right? So and- I went to, Kate and I went to high school with Esteban Powell, who is one of the actors in, Kate and I, we went to performing arts high school. Also uh-huh. with Beyonce, that's a claim to fame. Wow. Um, she was we were freshmen. We, we, she was a freshman. We were seniors. But anyway, Esteban Powell was an actor in Days and Confused. He actually had like a pretty chunky role. I yeah. don't know if you remember the movie well, but he was that like blonde, really blonde haired kid whose mom was the one who's, you know, came out and yelled at the older kids. Yeah. And she pulls a shotgun. On, yeah. Um, yes. On, 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 on ben, ben Affleck. Ben Affleck, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that was, yeah, that was fun. So I can't, you know, you're, you're a journalist, you know, I have to, fo- I have to follow up. What was Beyonce like as a freshman in high school? I, I didn't know her. I mean, we, I remember her, just small school. I remember her passing through the hallways and I mean, she was stunning. She's just a stunning woman, but she would sing. I can during the hallways and walking by. And um, I just remember, and I'm not just saying this, but I remember saying, wow, that, that girl is something. And I didn't really know much about her because we didn't have classes and she was in a different art area. I was a theater major. But she stood out. And, and then years later in college, one of my other good friends called me and said, open your yearbook. 
and look at whatever page because I didn't put two like Destiny's Child was already a big deal. Right. I just didn't make the connection because she looked so different. And so for two years, I'm bills, 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 all of these songs that I thought were great. I didn't even make the connection that she went to my high school, but that, that's I'll own it now. I love it. That's a good one to own. Yeah, I mean, those are two, you know, NK Turner, great, 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 right. great ones to hold Kate, on to from your high school. Bianca and Beyonce. Exactly. Exactly. So, Bianca, let's stay on high schools. You, your reporting over the last year has largely been focused. Your global affairs is, 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 is I think your focus generally, right? But you've been digging deep into uh, education throughout the pandemic, and and your reporting has been really insightful. Um, your perspective has been great. I saw the recent story you did about some parents who are suing schools. Um, can you shape it up, you know, from a, from a strategic standpoint, from a macro standpoint, where are we? Uh, where are we as a, as a country? And, and what do you think the next couple of months or even years looks like, both as a, as a journalist, as, a, as a, someone who understands strategy, but also as a parent? Yeah, look, we're, we're not at a good place. Um, there are more kids that are coming back to school for in-person learning, which is a good thing. But let's take a step back. First of all, you're right. I, my area was Russian, you know, senior global affairs analyst. And so especially during uh, the Trump years, I was always on CNN panels and talking about foreign policy in Russia in particular. And so after COVID hits, you know, everything changes. And um, my producers approached me and said, you know, we would love to have you still in the mix here. We're not talking as much about foreign policy, but schools are going to be a huge story going forward. So I never covered education, but as you know, one of the great things about journalism and what you've learned with the show is that the more you learn and explore other areas, the, the, you know, the more fulfilling it is um, as a journalist. So I took it on, obviously, and it's just been a whirlwind. I mean, look, mm -hmm. early on, we all were worried. Our kids' schools closed. We all thought that our kids could get sick and it, schools were a dangerous place. And I was really nervous about schools reopening. Um, and, you know, it didn't help that President Trump sort of made this a political issue by it turns out he was right, saying that, that we should reopen schools, but there was no science to back that up. He just said, open schools or else. We're going to cut funding. Right. And, and it seemed to really take this into a political issue, unfortunately, which everything is now. And I think a lot of school districts um, that had been working to reopen then sort of, you know, each went to their corners and you had a lot of concern out of teachers' unions and each district, depending on the laws and the governance in that state or area made up their own minds. And what you realize is when you're living in a country where so much the, the lawmaking, right, is done at the local level, the federalist country, some, that's helpful in many ways and sometimes not so much. So hmm. people turn to Biden or the White House, what can they do? Why can't he open schools? What? And it's really, you know, there's not much he can do. And, and so he can advise and guide and state and what have you, but this really comes down on the ground level. So only four states have mandated that schools offer some in-person learning, Texas being one of them, Florida being another. Um, and the rest, the decision-making is up with the school districts and local councils. And so parents in one state um, may see their kids in another thriving back in school and while theirs are still at home. So that seems to be the situation that mm -hmm. we found ourselves in in New Jersey. I, I would just say now we know the, the science shows that it, kids can return to school safely under proper mitigation, right? Keeping masks on, separation, not necessarily the six feet, because that's not feasible in many schools. Three feet seems to be sufficient. 
Mm. Proper ventilation, what does that mean? Many schools think we have to revamp our buildings. These are old buildings. There was a huge deficit going into this pandemic. We knew education-wide, a lot of disparity uh, among socioeconomic groups in this country. And this divide just continued to grow from, the, from COVID. So a lot of these areas said we didn't have money. We were in the hole going into this. And how are we going to refit our, our ventilation systems in our schools? And it turns out that a lot of it can just be as simple as opening school doors, opening windows. I'm not saying that these schools don't need money to put in proper ventilation. But in the meanwhile, it does seem to show that opening doors, having children. I went to Ohio and a school district there has been open since um, August. And from K through 12, I mean, I walked into a high school and they looked at me like I was crazy because I was floored. Mm. But these kids have been back into this high school lower middle class area and outside of Columbus. It's a small district, but the district only has one high school and one middle school. So you're talking about 1,500 kids in one school. And they've had maybe one and a half, 1.6% positivity spread among Mm. students. Um, And no one within the school has spread COVID to another student. So it's all Mm. come from outside. So the point being, we're months into this. We have the CDC on board saying that schools can open safely. And that children need to be in school. We've learned that they're just not institutions for learning academics. It's where it's daycare, right? It's childcare. It's so parents can get back to work. You can't open an economy unless schools are back in session. It's where some kids get the only nutritious meal they'll have for the day. It's where reports of child abuse and mental struggles and any other issues at home come to light for teachers. And we've seen all of that decline, not because abuse has gone down, but because it's not reported. So it's really, it's been depressing because mm-hmm. there are so many students who are just not logging on. Online learning, it doesn't work. You know, it's a good supplement. It's nice to know, especially for college students or what have you, that they can log on. But for little children, you have small kids, I have small kids. You just can't stay glued to a computer all day. Yeah. And there's only so much a teacher can do to entertain children online as well. So I, I think... You know, we found that with vaccination now being front and center and available for many teachers, that we should be, I think, in many cities at a much better place than we are now. And I think in Europe, many other countries look at the U.S. and say, what's going on there? Why haven't they prioritized schools? And, and that should have been the case. And I think the long, it's, you know, I like to call it sort of the long hauler. We talk about those long haulers as unfortunate people that continue to struggle with symptoms from COVID. Right. And I think education is going to be a long hauler. Because you're not going to be able to make up for the deficits that students, you know, the the learning decline, right, that they experienced this year. Test scores are down. Reading aptitude is down. Um, graduation, I think you're going to see, especially among lower income students and those that need the attention the most right now, go down. And it has lifelong, lifetime consequences, um, you know. The, the, the number of students going on to college is probably going to decrease. Mm-hmm. Their earning potential is going to decrease. So um, I hate to say this, I think it's so cliche when you say never let a good crisis go to waste because yes. we continue to let that happen. Uh, but education in this country is something that has never received the attention it should. And um, I'm afraid that even after COVID, it, it won't either. But hopefully schools... By September, I mean, you would think they should do it now. I was just in Philadelphia. They just let back K through two, K through yeah. two for two days of in-person learning, two days. 
they've negotiated with their school unions and um, then they'll expand it. But it's just at a point where you've got a lot of struggling families, a lot of struggling children, and and I don't know how you're going to get them back on the path they need to be on. I'm glad you pulled the piece out about the opportunity, right? In any crisis, there's opportunity. And I think, I don't know if we ever would have had this kind of focus on education in America, if not for the pandemic, right? right? On everything from, you know, teacher rights to infrastructure reform and technology. Um, and, you know, I've, I've used the, the construct of, of a war. And I think Biden started to use that more and more. And it feels like there are many different types of war zones across the country. The old saying at the VA hospitals were, if you've seen one VA, you've seen one VA. Now it seems like education similarly is so different in its experience. I think you, you all covered, uh, you know, Los Angeles, which has been locked down since the beginning. And, and then you've got places that have been in Texas wide open from the beginning. So you've got this huge disparity. Um, and I think, you know, as someone who's covered conflict, who's been in conflict, I, I, I continue to reiterate that it feels like the war is ending, but the pain and the trauma is just starting. And maybe we haven't even gotten to that. We probably have to go through a celebration this summer. And then after that settles down, go, whoa, what did we just go through? So as we go through this and go forward, Bianca, you, you were born in, in the Soviet Union. You saw you know, a fragmentation of huge parts of the world. What do you think the future of America looks like? Do we bec- is there a chance for Biden and others to pull us back together now? Or do we continue to splinter into 50 different many countries you know, indefinitely? Does it, do, you think, do you think it's, it's going to get better or worse? You know, I, I do tend to think that Biden probably came along at the, who's the right person for this time, right? Because anybody um, more controversial, more, um, I hate to use that word controversial, but, but more extreme in either direction, right? Um, yeah. I think would have just exacerbated the divide in this country right now. And so we always sort of hearken back to the good old days. There was no such thing. There was tons of racism. There was tons of inequality. There was um, but I think without social media, without the internet, you know, we have become sort of that, that polarized country that we now are, where everyone's in their own tribe and, and has their own channel that they can watch, right? And, and somebody, you go with like-minded voices and you tune out other ideas. And, and the idea of being objective, I think, is just thrown out the window. Mm. Um, so... I don't know what's going to happen going forward. This country has always been, you know, it's always been divided, but in ways that we were proud of, like Mm. people come to this country and we have different opinions. And it's why my parents left the Soviet Union, you know, and it's why there are, you know, legitimately democratic elections held here where you don't know the outcome. Um, And at the same time, there have to be some things that unite you more than divide. And again, that's a line we always keep hearing. But what makes you American? What unites you with your neighbors across the street who may have voted for somebody else? I don't know about you, but I, I distinctly remember growing up and having conversations with my parents where they would say to me, at the end of the day, whoever's going to be president, it's not going to impact your life in major ways, right? So maybe taxes go up, maybe they go down, maybe, but you're not going to notice a visible change. It's, it's they're American. They have some different policies, but at the end, they all, they all mean, you know, they all have the same vision for a united country. Mm. And, and so I never thought of somebody, I'd never go to my friend's house and say, oh, you voted for Clinton. You voted for Bush. That was never part of the conversation ever, ever. And now it's, 
it's, you know, oh, they, they're Trump supporters. Oh, they voted for Biden. And I don't remember that. And I, and I think that that's what's really disturbing mm. about where we are in this country, where somebody, you know, oh, I remember hearing people say, is Trump sort of hijacking the American flag? Can I not go outside of the little things that we've never dealt with? And I don't yeah. know of many other countries that have splintered in that direction, I guess, democratic countries. And which is why I think you have so many of our allies and our adversaries around the world kind of stunned at what's going on here, too. Yeah. So that that worries me, you know, because I think in, in many ways, people thought once Trump is gone, the division, things will simmer down. Right. Obviously, it doesn't help when you have a pandemic, the once in a hundred year pandemic to come in. And, and you know, who knows without COVID, he, he very well could have been reelected, right? And he had record high, you know, voting as well. So, um, so I don't know. I mean, I want to say I'm optimistic because I'm always optimistic. I was raised by optimistic parents who said, you know, things in this country can only get better. And, and, and that's why we brought you here. But I just don't know what that looks like. like mm. Let me just leave it there. I'm optimistic. Yeah. I just don't know when that arc is sort of going to plateau out. Because we all, we don't have a choice. Like, we're not going to splinter off in different countries. It's just we're not going to secede. Texas can say for all these politicians for, you know, as long as they want that we're going to secede. You're not going to. You can't. <laughs> That's not who we are. Yeah. And, um, and they need to just stop talking. I mean, the, the, the storm last month is a perfect example of why we, we all thrive better when we're together. Be independent. Yeah. I love being independent. Let's all be independent. But at the end of the day, we need to be together. We need we need that coexistence. So right? you, you're a you're a basketball fan, and you just gave me a great bounce pass segue <laughs> into where I wanted to go with you next, which is exploring what is maybe a case study in whether or not we can stick together as a country or not. Your home, your, your home state of Texas, right? There are some folks that want to secede. Uh, you know, you, you've got this terrible, catastrophic infrastructure failure that happened. Um, and, you know, the divisions in some ways are, are kind of, if, if it's a battlefield for the future of America, Texas is kind of a, a front line in many ways, in the same way maybe Florida and some other states are. But as, a, as, as someone who grew up in Texas, uh, and as a journalist and and as someone who understands, you know, all the pieces and how they fit together, a lot of folks have forgotten about what happened in Texas already, right? A lot of folks mm-hmm. would have forgot what happened this weekend. Mm-hmm. But, but um, what do you want folks to know about what happened in Texas? And what do you think is the most important takeaway that we can think about going forward? So, you know, the idea of being overly confident is never a good one and mm-hmm. and, and complacent, right? And so there's this moxie in Texas of, you know, we're independent, we're, you know, energy independent, the largest oil producer in in the country, we don't belong to any other grid, we have our own grid. And that's been beneficial in the past. I remember when I was in New York, a few years after 9-11, right, we had that power, that outage, right? And and so Texas like, oh, we're all on our own. And it, it turns out that this past storm last month wasn't even the first time there's been a crisis not of this magnitude, but an energy crisis. A similar one occurred in, in 2011. And people have to realize that when co- you get cold in Texas at 30 degrees, like when you're in a humid environment, cold, humid hurts. Like anytime I go mm. back down there and it's 30 degrees, I'm like, you know, it's freezing. And people say, well, you're in New York. I'm like, it's different. It feels different. Yeah. And so for families to have survived these bone chilling temperatures for days, 
I had one of my best friends said, Yana, we just happened to have a thick jacket for our family because we had a trip, you know, we went up to Europe last year and otherwise we wouldn't have had these coats. So everyone's wrapped in blankets. Homes aren't built to prepare for that type of weather. I mean, you know, that's why climate change comes into the conversation as well, because we need to rethink infrastructure and, and how homes are built. Like in Colorado, many homes don't have air conditions, right? Now they're having record heat and it's during summertime. And so in, in Houston and in Texas, there was one perfect example of being overconfident, not prepared, um, just, you know, ridiculous, boneheaded decision-making on the parts of many of these companies. There's, I just tweeted an article out in the Houston Chronicle, an investigation proved that there, every company has a three-page application they have to fill out every year to sort of get the emergency clearance, like a backup generator would mm-hmm. kick in at a hospital, what have you, during crisis. A dozen natural gas companies didn't fill out this two-minute form. And thus, we lost power, that state lost power in, in from thousands, maybe millions of Texans who didn't have to just because they didn't fill out this form. And the same thing happened in 2011. So an investigation following that crisis said, you know, you've got to fill out this form. Now, why you need to go through this process, that's another thing I don't understand. But if that's the process, take two minutes to fill out this form. But it just, it, again, it goes into this bureaucracy um, and, and mentality that we are going to do this on our own. We're better than every other state and we have mm-hmm. no problems here. And we're going to focus on clickbait, right? That, that what's, whether voter fraud or what other states are doing. And, and again, I love being Texan. I, I think there's just something about no one wears Texas pride on their sleeves as much as Texans do. And I'm yeah. guilty of it. I love it. Um, but at the same time, you have to know your weaknesses. And people don't realize, and again, people outside looking in, Houston is the most diverse city in this country, more than, more than even New York. There are more mm-hmm. languages spoken, I think maybe second only to New York. There are more languages spoken in Houston than any other city in this country, second to New York. Um, it's a diversified state. You've got a lot of new tech technology companies that have come in for lower taxes. But again, you know, many weren't prepared. They left California and here they are in Texas and mm-hmm. there's a, a snowstorm. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are a lot. Of, and then you've got the immigration issue, right? And you've right. got what's happening down at the border. And again, that has transcended how many administrations and both parties. I mean, this is a crisis that no one has been able to fix or solve. And um, it's now it, it's worse than years, as we now see. And this is you know one of the first challenges for Biden to deal with. Um, so th- there's a lot happening in Texas, good and bad. But Texas will never secede. Like, mm-hmm. I, I just... It, it won't. And I think this whole mentality of we're better than everyone else or we're independent and we need to be alone. It, it doesn't help. It actually hurts the state. Well, I'm glad it's not seceding because I love Texas. Texas probably it's in my top five states in America. Like I love New York, Texas, California, Maine. They're all kind of I've been all over Texas, spent a lot of time in Texas. And I think Texas outside of Texas often gets a bad rap. And but it's for some folks, it's like it's like a foreign country, but it's also represented by its leadership. And I've said this before. 
y'all deserve better than Ted Cruz. Of course. I mean, Ted Cruz is just shameful and terrible and like the worst representative that Texas has ever had. So I asked Darren Walker if he'd run for Senate in Texas. Bianca, what about you? Would you run for Senate, go home and run for Senate in Texas? I don't think I have politics in my future, no. Uh, um, I think my parents would be, you know, good representatives. That's a whole other conversation to be had. But all right. I, I don't think so. But look, again, going back to this mask mandate, I don't know why this has become such a political issue. Every yeah. single But it's leadership, right? Like the reason why it's become an issue is because leaders make a choice to make it an issue, right? Yeah. Like easy, Ted Cruz, right? Governor Abbott, they say, I'm going to make this an issue. They can choose not to make it an issue. You know, while Texas and Florida go in one direction, you know, and, and Mississippi and others, we see some states saying, you know what? No, we're going to keep the masks on a little bit longer because the leaders make a choice. And I, again, go back to the combat structure. Like you have to make choices that are life and death for your people. And if you make the right choices, you know, everyone will praise you, make the wrong choices. Everyone will second guess. It's easy to second guess all the choices on schools now, but it, but it's not hard to second guess some of the stupidity that comes out of the leadership. So I think, you know, Texas is, this is independent Americans, right? Like, I don't know if there's a place that's more independent than Texas in all the good ways and right. in all the challenging ways. Um, but it also becomes for me, and I think for most folks who, it's a national security imperative, right? Our America's enemies love seeing the grid in Texas go down, right? Kim Jong-un loves it. ISIS celebrates it. Putin loves to see what's happening right now in the U.S. So I want to take you there if I can, because you've been, I think, one of the most important voices because you break it down in ways that are digestible, that are timely, um, that are sometimes personal, right? So can you also take us to the other side of the globe and, and shape up where we are? Because again, most Americans aren't focused on Russia right now. They're thinking about schools reopening or what concert they want to go to or how they're going to get the vaccine or how they're going to get their jobs back. Meanwhile, Navalny's, Navalny's in jail now. Uh, Biden put in place what I think are kind of half-assed sanctions. Um, but can you shape up um, where is the threat relative to where it's been in the past of Russia to the U.S.? And, and why do you think we should be paying attention to Russia now? Well, Russia is one of the world's superpowers, if for no other reason than nuclear and military, right? Um, so it is the biggest country in the world landmass-wise. Um, and you have somebody running the country who figures himself as a major global player. And, and I know that's easier said than done to just say, ignore him, who cares what he says. But his actions are conveyed through that mentality. And so when he's ignored, remember when Obama said that you're just a regional player, right. um, what happens later? He, and not, not sequentially, but he invades Ukraine, right? He secedes Crimea. Um, he goes into Syria. So he's able to take advantages of some, some of the blind spots that we have in this country, some of, you know, the red line with Obama and what have you. I think the difference is that, again, this goes back to President's sort of all had the same objective, and that is America's welfare, right, in the world. And, and Trump brought that to a screeching halt, and, and nobody really understood what his intentions were, where he viewed Russia and the U.S. globally. Um, and he became much more of an insular kind of play, right, and nationalistic, and, and we're not going to go into other countries. Um, and Russia took advantage of that. Now, I would say... Uh, the best case scenario going forward, assuming that Putin stays in power through 2036, which going to be the case, um, most likely, 
uh, is that we are going to have less of a relationship with Russia. We're just not going to, there's not going to be much reason to have a diplomatic relationship with the country. Um, obviously, we're not going to go to war with them. But I think as Biden entered his administration, we renewed the New START deal. The nuclear deal was probably the most important for to, to get off the table. And we both agreed, both countries agreed to renew that. That was a good thing. But other than that, there, there's not much interconnection between the two countries. Uh, mm-hmm. Even today, the, you talked about the sanctions and one can question how effective sanctions are at this point. We really exhausted the majority of sanctions that we could impose on Russia. And we don't trade much with Russia. We don't have much of a, a business relation or economic ties with Russia because Russia doesn't export much other than oil and, and you know, arms, mm-hmm. right? So um, with Biden today calling Putin a killer, um, again, it's sort of stating the obvious. Right. Uh, I think it doesn't address what the ramifications of that are, though, right? Because repeat it to an American audience, it's spread around the world. I'm watching Russian television and how it's interpreted there. Um, he's come out and said something that, you know, thank God he's not saying what Trump said, which was not that Putin isn't a killer. It was that sort of equivocating, we have killers here too, we're, we're just as bad, right. which is right. an insult to Americans. That having been said, how does Putin and how do Biden um, view each other going forward how do they work together once you go there and call someone a killer it's not like you can go to a g20 summit and just then sit in the room with them and pretend like nothing ever happened Mm. so i think a putin's going to have to have some sort of response to this because he can't let this lie i'm not talking about military but statement or what have you um and uh you know the question is what other sanctions could possibly work which is why the navalny idea of not targeting Russians because Russians and the FSB sanctioning them from coming to New York or Miami is not, I mean, it's only going to sort of boost their egos at home. And uh, they don't have yachts around the world. They weren't planning to travel to New York or Miami or London anytime soon. People that have those kind of accommodations and access to that is the inner circle, the crony, the cronyism surrounding Vladimir Putin, the billionaires who support him, the oligarchs, right? And they have a mutually symbiotic relationship where Putin helps them, they help Putin. And, and, and when that gets threatened, that's sort of an area where we haven't tapped into. Mm-hmm. Because once you go there, it's sort of the nuclear options. Can I, can I ask you, Bianca, you said, you said two things that I want to drill down on. One, you, know, you said, uh, obviously, we're not going to have military conflict with Russia. Yet we keep having these little like drive-bys, right? The Arctic, yeah. Syria, Syria, right? Yeah. Like it happens where, you know, uh, an armored vehicle rams into an American vehicle and most of the American media doesn't cover it. You see it. I see it. A lot of folks see it. Um, Putin likes to, to test people. Right. And, and kind of what, what Biden seems to be doing here is reframing the whole, the whole world and saying, mm-hmm. I'm going to put everybody in different boxes and then I'm going to see how they behave in those boxes. Right. So he's putting Putin in a new box saying, Hey, new sheriff in town, here's, I'm going to deal with you. And then let's monitor and see what happens. Putin, you know, is, is, is going to test Biden. He tests everybody. Um, so, so what do you see that looking like in the next couple of years? And Navalny, like he's far from perfect. I think about the Rumsfeld quote, you go to war with the army you have, you kind of, you kind of have the opposition you have, right? And Navalny, is Navalny Russia's Mandela? Is he going to go to prison for a while and then come out and be a part of the future a decade or longer down the line when things really change? Because we are seeing this pushback now against authoritarianism in some places in the U.S., 
you know, even Netanyahu in, in, in Israel. Um, what does that look like in the future? I mean, can we actually hope for Putin to be gone or is that too far away? You know, it's not going to happen next year. It's not going to happen during the, the next presidential elections there. But I do think, and this is, goes back to the idea that Putin isn't sort of some brilliant strategist. He's a tactical player, right? He's a risk taker. He's a trap, but he's thinking about what I can do in the next coming months, right? Not what the future, what lies down the road five years from now. And five years from now, at least from Navalny's standpoint and those of his supporters is where they're looking. And you have Russian, uh, their parliamentary, their Duma elections coming up in September, which is why you've seen such an increase in, in police brutality, right? On the streets, the crackdowns that you're seeing, the arrests, the detentions. I mean, these are things we haven't seen going back to the Soviet Union eras. And, and, and for that to be taking place in the major cities, not only the major cities in Russia, but for you know all 11 time zones when they would come out yeah. and support for Navalny, um, it, it's a real indication that people in Russia are at a, a point where they aren't satisfied with their lives. They aren't satisfied with the economy. Pensions are down. Um, they're not idiots. Many of these people have now said, this is the only president we've known our entire lives, especially the young voices in Russia. Um, there used to be this mentality, well, hey, we, there's no war and we have food on the table. Let's not rock the boat. And I think that's starting to change. Propaganda on state-run television is one thing, and, and Russia and the Kremlin have, a, have total control over that. But the internet is still relatively free there. Mm. Um, that's an area I'm going to be watching closely because right. unlike China and other dictatorships um, in authoritarian countries, People still have access to Twitter. YouTube is big there. TikTok is huge. TikTok's what's been organizing a, a lot of these protests on the streets. So uh, Putin has threatened to shut Twitter down for pornographic and um, drug abuse advertising, which obviously, you know, who's talking about that other than right. Vladimir Putin? Um, but I, I do think that may be the next step because he will do whatever it takes to, lift, to, to hold on to power. Even though the country's suffering economically, he's got billions in reserve. There's still a ton of money. Their oil prices are going up. Um, and, and so I think from, and again, going back to Navalny, yes, no one, and it's a mistake to paint him as sort of this greater than, you know, holy man who has done no wrong. Uh, the best voice that I've heard talk about this is somebody who said, people that are out on the streets aren't just protesting because they support Navalny. It's because they want to vote against him, too. They want the opportunity mm. to, to live in a country where they decide who they vote for and not have a government come in and, and make up some trumped up charges, right, and arrest a man. I mean, they, he's elevated Navalny to a point where he wasn't, I would say, this time last year. He was an yeah. opposition you know, candidate, but he was you know, not a huge threat, not the threat that he is now to Vladimir Putin. And so by attempting to poison him, by everything that he's gone through, by going back to Russia, when people ask, why did he do that? Well, for Russians, they see no matter what you think of his past statements or nationalism or, you know, his past comments, that's a brave person. That is somebody yeah. who's not just abroad. He's building the legend. He's building the legend of Navalny. He'll take that time. That's as a good political move, if you will. I hate to put right. it in those contexts, but 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 it it, it is. Uh, it's it's he's he's the fighter. He's right. he's taking the pain. He's willing to endure it. He's saying, I'm going to outlast you, Putin. And I think maybe the question that that I'll ask you, because you have so much insight, is. Is there a day that you can you envision a day or should we expect a day where you wake up and go, holy shit, there's an Arab Spring happening in Russia? 
Well, that would be Putin's work. That is his worst nightmare. Right, right. It is his worst nightmare. The Middle East, I think that's where, you know, remember when Medvedev, they would switch roles in Medvedev. I'm not saying that he had all authority and power, but he was more, much more of an independent player at that time. And some of the moves that he made vis-a-vis the UN and in terms of the Middle East, um, I think in Gaddafi and Libya in particular, really scared the you-know-what out of Putin. Yeah. And he saw that happen there. And that's the thing with revolutions. That's the thing with crisis. We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. It could be one thing that triggers it. And the next morning, nobody saw it coming. Um, Putin has major control over the military there, over his security forces in particular, pays them a ton of money relative to Russian, you know, average Russians, and he has their loyalty. And as you know, your background, that's the key. If you still have the military, if you have the the police um, and armed services on your side, you're still in power. Mm. It's when you lose that that you start to worry. So- Thank you for deconstructing that. You've been you've been, you've been doing sense. it really, like really so off and off and off. <laughs> no, you've been doing it helpfully and well, especially in the last year. I mean, we we've got to keep our eye on, on many balls that are in the air right now. Um, this is independent Americans. You've seen how Putin deals with the press. We saw how Trump dealt with the press. And, and I'm trying to highlight the importance of independent leadership in times like this. And I think you're the first journalist that's joined us since we've renamed the show and explored this issue. Can you talk about that and, and this moment in time where the, the, the journalistic community, journalists have been called the enemy of the state, um, you know, their popularity has, has been demolished. And, and, and you know, of course, there have been mistakes, but, but it's been a harder time to be a journalist and maybe a more important time to be a journalist in America than any time in my lifetime anyway. Can you talk about how you view that role as a patriot? Because you are a patriot. I think you're part of uh, a new group of leaders who are reframing what it means to be patriotic after Trump. Can you talk about what you think about that in this moment? Well, this goes back to our previous conversation about tribalism, right? I mean, I remember, I'll never forget, I was on a flight home um, to to Houston, I forgot home, and and I was sitting next to this lovely couple, and the man asked me what I did, and I said, oh, I'm a journalist, where do you work? And I said, CNN. And he said, I wouldn't repeat that if I were you. Mm. And it was just, you know, and it was said in jest. It was, I get where he was coming from, but that, that we were even there. And obviously, you've seen what's happened to journalists in this country at, at rallies, at Trump rallies. And um, there is a level of discomfort and a threat to them. And I know many of my colleagues have security that now escort them in and out of buildings and at events and things that, you know, we just didn't see that before, yeah. right? Um, so clearly, there is heightened tension in this country and journalists are part of that tension and part of that threat um, or threat, you know, the threat is against journalists. That having been said, I've always valued um, foreign journalists in, in their level of just bravery and what they, you know, whether it be in Russia or, or many other countries in the Middle East and going covering war zones. Um, you know, they're the ones who really risk their lives going out there every single day. And, and we've all known that and we've covered that. So it's been it's always I think you sort of, you know, go to your initial reaction of saying, I don't want to talk about me. It's not about me. We're really lucky to be journalists in America where we have First Amendment to back us up. And we have, but this is the first time, I think, and I don't know how long we're domestically. We are a bit nervous. I mean, you do. I do think about like wearing a certain, you know, hat or yeah. um, anything with insignia, like things you didn't think of before are now crossing your mind. And it, it, it does. It's a bit offsetting in America 
to be having to deal with that reality. And again, it it gives you a sense of just a tiny bit, a tiny taste of what's happening in so many other countries. It's so important how you humanize it, Bianca, because I think that, you know, the the easiest thing that Trump was able to do is make the media the other in the same way he made immigrants the other. He can make any number of people the other. And and he's done that successfully with many parts of this country around what it means to be a journalist. But I I think that humanizing it and explaining to people that you're human, you're a mother, you're a citizen, you you're, you're an a real person. We're Americans, right? And, yeah. and this is our job. Yeah. And, yeah. and what would be so frustrating is that an administration like the previous one, and again, I'd never heard of fake news before I had to go look up with, with the origins of that. Apparently it was yeah. Turkish, right? Um, and uh, you, you had an administration with so much vitriol, public vitriol, every day spewing out towards. Now, whether you know they meant for that to be acted on or whether that was part of the shtick, it was interpreted to be acted yeah. on. And yet on the flip side of that, this administration leaked to journalists more than any other. Right? Sure. I mean, how many times did you read a story and it would be not one or two sources, but 25? Yeah. And, and so, it, you know, on the one hand, they were desperate to attack the media. On the other hand, it elevated them. So, you know, and not to say that we don't have our own homework to do, and I think reevaluate an autopsy of how the media approached and some networks may be better than others and and newspapers. But um, there was a lot of um, there was a lot of shock value over the last few years. Yeah. I mean, you know, journalism and and CNN are kind of like America to me. Like, I, I, I love them. I want them to be better. Right. And I want to work to be a part of making them better. But I see their fault. My wife, I remember one time getting in a car to go to CNN for an interview, I think, with Cuomo or someone else. And it was at the height of the threats to the building where there were bomb threats. And my wife kept saying to me, I'm really scared about you walking into that building. And you've got little kids. Think about this. And in that moment, I, I, you know, I never really thought about it that way because I was always focused on the job and I was moving around. But it was it was a threatening environment for individuals walking in and around those buildings. And and I hope we have passed that. I hope we've gotten past that point in our history. And I think the leadership of Biden and others is so critical in reframing it. But so is your example and the example of so many others that have gotten us through these tough times. And you're a leader who has. Um, who is in all your, your media um, uh, jobs have been helping people interpret and move through hard times. This has been a really hard time for people. Um, what, Bianca, has gotten you through it? And, and what makes you happy? So obviously it goes without saying family, my kids, thank God everyone has been helped. I remember my husband said when this first started, um, you know, we were sort of trying to, to, to digest the scope of what a pandemic was going to do to our lives. And he said, you're going to know people who are going to die. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's how bad it is. And you put that in your head, you think about your parents, you know, who are healthy, but you know, they're at that age where you have to worry about them. And so knock on wood, that makes me the happiest that a year in um, my family is healthy and we're together and my parents are healthy and my, my mother-in-law's healthy. Um, selfishly, what's made, what always makes me happy, what makes me a better person is just running it has gotten me through this past year. And I just find running to be the best um, therapy, you know, for me at least. Uh, and it's my me time. Mm. So, uh, and then I get to see the city in, in other cities, you know, whenever we do go back to traveling, I just think it's such a wonderful way to explore. Um, but, but running is really, and I, I don't do it every day because I don't want an injury. I live in fear of injuries. <laughs> but um, I go out a good four or five times a week. And it's just, you know, it's like my, my old colleague, Dan Harris, wrote a book called 10% happier. 
mm. and uh, all about meditation and, and, and all of that. And um, I find that it's not game changing, right? You don't become a different person, but it's that 10% that really helps you get through the day. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I've, I've found as I've gotten older and running has gotten harder, it's also become more important because of the mental component, even mm-hmm. more than the physical. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you just it, bottle that up. You can't find that anywhere. Yeah, right? it's better than any drink or drug well, or anything well, else. You know, a, a good run like clears your head in a way that I don't think anything else can. But yeah. um, and basketball. I mean, March Madness is coming. Yes. Do you have any predictions? I got to get you on the the NBA. Your Houston Rockets are in the basement. Um, but it's a basketball's back. It's it, you know, as the spring comes, we got maybe the best time for basketball right now. Any it's any back. thoughts on the basketball season? It's back. You know what? Underway? My son and I watched the University of Houston um, play over the weekend, and, and they did much better than the Rockets. And um, I've never been a college basketball fan. I've always been an NBA fan, um, and I don't know why. I mean, I went to a great time University of Texas. And we always had. I just didn't follow college basketball that much. But the Rockets are really—it's just depressing. I, you know, you, we talked offline, and like I tweeted the other day because I think eleven or ten of their players were out, and I, I said I'm just going to go ahead and suit up at this point because <laughs> I don't know what the point of having a game that you're just going to be obliterated. My son is a huge Houston Rockets fan, and he sort of—I told him that part of being a Houston Rockets fan is that you're always going to hurt, and and it just comes with the territory. You know what? <sighs> I'll take that. As a New York Knicks fan, I'll take the Houston Rockets. You had some good times growing yeah, up. Yeah. And you had some interesting times, everything from the titles to Olajuwon to Yao Ming. I mean, exactly. you know, there's so many interest. like Houston, the Houston Rockets are an interesting examination of America over the last, you know, couple of decades. Yeah. So I know it's been hard for you, but I, you know, I take the Rockets record over the last decade over the Knicks any day. I agree. Maybe next year, maybe it's a good time to just hit rock bottom and start anew. <laughs> The draft is coming. That's the great part about basketball. Every year yeah. there's a new draft. Every year there's hope. But beyond it, you continue to give people tons of hope and inspiration and insight. I'm very grateful for all that you do uh, for this country and, and for joining me. Normally, I would give you gifts in person at the car club. We're not doing that anymore. So I'm going to send you uh, a bottle of Uncle Nearest Whiskey. <laughs> Thank you. You can either enjoy after, you know, uh, after a game, <laughs> drown your miseries, or you can give it to someone else. We have Thank new you. Uh, independent Americans gear that's coming and we have a new coffee mug and a hat. I'm going to send you some of that. You're in New York, so it shouldn't take more than six months or so. And then uh, Easter's coming. I'm bringing back the question. Peeps. Peeps. There are three colors here, Biana: yellow, pink, and blue. If you had to choose one color, which color would you choose and why? Pink. I was never a peeps person, but I, I just, I don't know why I'm drawn to the pink and I, I I just, I just am. That's enough for me. Right, right. That's enough. That's enough (laughs) for me. That's enough for me. I am really grateful for your time, for your insight and for for your example. I think it's, it's really important for us as Americans to recognize um, leadership examples that show what right looks like. And you've been doing that in your work and in your family life Mm -hmm. and in, in how much you care so deeply about this country and do so much for it. And I'm excited to watch your journey continue, but grateful for your time today and and all that you do. Thank you for being my guest and for joining us. Paul, thank you so much. And thank you for everything that you're doing. I hope to see you at a Rockets-Knicks game sometime soon. Yes, let's do it. Let's do it. Until then, stay frosty. Stay vigilant. Thank you. March Madness is crazy. 
in part because anything can happen. It's also awesome because anything can happen. It's a time when 64 teams all across America have hope. 64 communities all have hope. The hope that they can go all the way. The lowest seeded team to ever win the NCAA men's basketball tournament was the eighth seeded Villanova back in 1985. This week, every team thinks they can be Villanova because they can be. Hope is the oxygen of democracy. It was what fueled that Villanova team, and it's what I'm going to continue to use in every show. As America's recovery starts, and in the final quarter of our fight against the virus rolls on, and our democracy continues to need that oxygen more and more by the day, but it's contagious, more contagious than the virus. We can all be like Biana, and we can be like our recent guests like Wes Moore, Darren Walker, and others, super spreaders of hope. You can be like them and spread the hope wherever you can. Pass it like a basketball. Whether it's news about the vaccine or plans you're making for when the country is back open, spread the hope. Keep it moving and keep the oxygen of our democracy flowing, passing on to others like a basketball. Hope is the air we need. So we got to keep breathing, especially in the fourth quarter when you're sucking and your hands are on your knees and you feel like you can't catch your breath. So breathe, breathe in deep, suck it up. If it's not where you are, I promise it's coming and we can win this. Breathe. There we go. Especially in the midst of March Madness, keep breathing in that oxygen and that hope and encourage others to do the same. We've gone from a Division Three response to the Final Four now, and we are ready for this moment. And like basketball fans everywhere, and like Bianca Goladriga, be a part of the team. Be a helper. Spread the light, the hope, and especially the good information. Share information about vaccination sites, especially with older folks who might be having a hard time getting appointments. Share info about the hope that's on the way. Share how you felt after you got the shot for people who are worried. Share good info. Keep passing the ball. That's how we fight misinformation and conspiracy theories and extremists and enemies of our future. And it's how we beat the virus. It's how we get the best shots. We can all be helpers, just like those who've already stepped up. And just like Mr. Rogers told us about. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. My kids watched a Mr. Rogers today from 1970-something with Lynn Swan talking about how to handle loss, but also how to be a helper. And there are leaders and helpers out there spreading hope faster than the stupid. Leaders setting the example from all political, geographic, and social backgrounds. Leaders who show that everyone can be a helper. In recent episodes, we talked about Dolly Parton and the other Dolly, the Dalai Lama. High-profile people continue to get the shot and show what right looks like. It's why I posted a video of myself getting it. I hope it moves one or two people to step up and get the shot. And now, people of all backgrounds 
are finally uniting around vaccination. And there are more and more by the day from all political backgrounds, including a few guys who understand the stakes and understand the need for teamwork and guys who you usually only see together when the stakes are the highest. A fab four of a different kind. The COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. The helpers at the Ad Council have launched a PSA, a public service announcement, with former presidents Obama, Bush, Clinton, and Carter urging vaccination. Yeah, there's one important former president missing, but we'll keep pushing ahead without him just like we had to before. He's not much of a team player. And despite him, we're winning. So much winning. More than 101 million vaccinations have now been reported to the CDC since the first one in December. And this week, we set a new record for doses reported to the CDC. 2.924 million. This beat out the previous record of 2.904 million reported just this past Saturday. So the U.S. is finally leading again on a global scoreboard for a good reason. Help us run up the score. Have the courage and be like Dolly Parton, be like the Dalai Lama, be like my mom, be like the four presidents, be like me. Listen to me and Dolly, don't be such a chicken squat. Get the shot. And be a helper. States are finally doing a better job. The National Guard and Department of Defense are stepping up. And the VA is doing an excellent job. And the vaccine is coming. So look for the helpers. They're coming. And if you've already got it, help others get it. And if they're waiting for it, help keep them frosty. Help keep them supported. And help keep them hopeful until they can get it. It's an easy way you can be a helper. My thanks to all the helpers that made this episode possible, especially Bianca Goladriga. Follow her on Twitter. Watch for her on CNN. Check out her website. She's a powerful and important voice and inspiring as hell. Independent Americans are the future, and Bianca is yet another example. She's a true helper. And thank you to more helpers, the Righteous Media team, Mighty Mercy Rich, creative Chris Rosenthal, and brilliant Bill Schultz. So if you like this episode please be a helper. Go to Apple Podcasts and give us five stars. Make us a five-star recruit. And be sure to subscribe for free and share. You can visit us everywhere on social media and check out independentamericans.us. There are links to all our social there, every show we've ever done, and to our Patreon. And to new merch. We have more new merch. Every episode, I'm going to try to roll out a new piece of merch. It's hot. It's ready. Go to Independent Americans to see what's there now. Last week, we rolled out a very badass camping mug. Perfect for the spring or the winter or your whiskey or your March Madness or to toasting to getting the vaccine. 
Many of you got one. It's very cool, and I hope you can check it out. And this episode, we are rolling out another new piece of merch just in time for March Madness, which we might have to call Merch Madness. Add it to your Easter basket. It is a very cool hat, a very cool black independent American's hat with an independent eye on the front. Represent for Team Independent with this very cool independent American's hat. It's got the eye on the front, independent Americans on the back, and they're stretchy, very stretchy, comfortable, and useful. You can find them in a number of sizes at independentamericans.us. You can also see the video of this conversation with Biana and over 100 episodes with everybody from Chuck D to Megan McCain to Pete Buttigieg. If you like basketball, we've also got David Aldridge from The Athletic and the great Rex Chapman. Go back and check out those episodes. They're nothing but net, and they are at independentamericans.us or the Righteous Media YouTube page. And I want to send big congrats to two of our past guests, Admiral Jim Stravides, his new book, 2034, a novel of the next world war. It's a novel with Elliot Ackerman is out and it landed on the New York Times bestseller list. It hit number six in its first week out of the gate. Admiral Stravides joined us back in December on episode 89. If you haven't seen it or heard it, go back and check it out. He talks about this book and it's really doing well. So congrats to the Admiral. And another one of our past guests, Rachel Maddow, won a Grammy. Our guest back in episode seven and was replayed in episode 87 last Thanksgiving. Rachel Maddow won her first Grammy Award, claiming victory on Sunday at the Grammys for Best Spoken Word Album category. It was for the audiobook version of her 2019 book, Blowout, which is about Russia and many other things we talked about in this show. And she beat out some pretty interesting people, including Red Hot Chili Peppers guitarist Flea for his memoir, and Ken Jennings and Alex Trebek for the late Jeopardy host memoir, The Answer Is. And she beat out Meryl Streep, who did an audiobook of E.B. White's classic, Charlotte's Web. Holy smokes. So congrats to Rachel, to the Admiral, and to all of our guests who are out there doing good stuff and continuing to be helpers. You can find them all on our website. America is more divided than ever before, including on pancakes versus waffles and some of the other hard questions we've asked. But we're trying to add light to contrast the heat of other political shows. So share this episode with your friends and help us shape what America will be in the future. If you're among the 40% of Americans who are independent, this is your place. If you're a Republican or Democrat, but you're not a diehard, this is your place. If you're just a concerned American who cares about the future of your country, this is your place. All are welcome on this team, and we invite you to join us and be a part of the solution. I also want to invite you to join the team by becoming a member of our Patreon community. Become a patron. Join our Patreon community. Just five bucks, you get access to our events, our guests, merch discounts, and exclusive content. Thanks to all of our fearless Patreon members. You can find all that information at independentamericans.us. We recently did a special happy hour for Patreon members only earlier this month, and we'll have another one coming up in April. So join us and stay tuned. And my thanks, as always, to those of you that are already part of the vigilant, the very vigilant, and the most vigilant. You're all helpers that make this show and everything we do happen. And of course, my massive thanks to the biggest helpers of all, my wife and two boys. We are very excited to watch March Madness. It'll be a nice break, honestly, from Trash Truck and BattleBots and the Axel Show, which is their new obsession. If you don't know, now you know. We did catch a little bit of the Grammys, some really inspiring stories there. I love Dua Lipa. That song, that record, that performance, wow. She is awesome and an incredible story. 
Billie Eilish won again, who I hope will continue to make music for a long, long time. Would love to invite her to be a guest on this show. And a band I told you about, the Black Pumas. They crushed it. A tremendous performance and had some awesome moves. They played Colors, which is, I think, an anthem for our times. I think it should have gotten album and song of the year. It did not, but it was a great performance. My wife and boys will also be watching President Biden's speech this week because we finally have a president again who we can show to our children, a president who gives speeches we want to share with our children. So we're going to do that this week as a family. And yes, we are going to watch March Madness because March Madness is about hope and hard work and inspiration and teamwork. And hope is the oxygen for our democracy, but also for life. And March Madness is here and hope is here more than any other time in the last year. It's here. It's right here. And so is the vaccine. And getting it, I got to tell you, feels so good. If you've gotten it, you know what I mean. If you haven't, you will. I promise. As shitty as this year has been, we all will feel the happiness, the relief, the excitement, the strength of that vaccine going into your arm. You're going to walk out of that pharmacy or that tent or that VA hospital stronger than when you went in. Two million people are now experiencing that feeling every single day. Every single one of us will experience that feeling, that one shining moment. The ball is tipped, and there you are. You're running for your life. You're a shooting star. And all one shining moment is the song and the video montage that plays at the end of every March Madness. It's clips of the greatest and the most tragic moments of the March Madness tournament. A tournament that feels like it lasts much longer than it actually does. In many ways, like the last year the pandemic has felt. Ups and downs, highs and lows, but always filled with the hope and the promise of one shining moment. Some of the lines from that song have never been more poignant. In all the years, no one knows just how hard you worked but now it shows. One shining moment, it's all on the line. One shining moment, there, frozen in time. One shining moment, you reached deep inside. One shining moment, you knew you were alive. One shining moment, you reached for the sky. One shining moment, you knew. One shining moment, you were willing to try. One shining moment. This is our one shining moment. A chance for every single one of us to shine, to feel better, to protect others, to make our country stronger. This may be the single most patriotic thing you ever do. It will require courage, fortitude, patience, but it'll be worth it. And it will be worth it for that one shining moment. And that moment, maybe on July 4th, when we can all collectively share one shining moment and declare our independence from the virus. Since the pandemic started, I encourage you to keep an eye on that day, long in the future, when we will prevail over the virus, the day we will win the war, our victory over the virus day. Well, now that day 
is not that far in the future. And President Biden, maybe he listens to this show, has picked a day and a smart one, Independence Day. Our VC day will be Independence Day. That's some good shit right there. And a lot better than having our president throw an expensive, unnecessary military parade for himself on July 4th. That will be our day. America's day. Your day. And the day or days you get the shot will be your day too. Your Independence Day. Hope is flying now. Like three-point shots from Steph Curry. So keep sharing and spreading it, especially to the folks who can't see it yet or have never seen it. March Madness is all about hope. Hope that the 64 seed can beat a number one seed. That the little guy can knock out the big guy. That hope is what makes March Madness the best sports event in America every year. I like it more than the Super Bowl, the NBA Finals, the World Series, or anything else. It's the best. And nothing is more exciting. Because it's filled with hope. And hope is the oxygen right now for America. But we can't just breathe it in. We got to share it. Like the ball and like your bracket. Hope. That's what the vaccine is. That's what the new COVID relief bill is. That's what the relief checks and extended unemployment are. That's what the child tax credit is. That's what the support for music venues is. That's what your shot will be. That's what July 4th will be. That's what Independence Day will be. And every day around here is Independence Day. So take that hope and pass it like the rock. Bounce pass, lob pass, shit. Roll the ball across the gym if you need to. But keep passing that ball and encourage others to do the same. Just like basketball, America's a team game. And we need everyone playing on the same team to win. And together, we'll get to the Final Four and get everyone one shining moment this spring. And we'll keep the movement growing week by week. And we'll stay vigilant. Because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And with hope in our hearts, it's the path to better days. Pass that hope. And know you're not alone in your vigilance. We are all vigilant. We're all in this together. From Biana Goladriga, to Sarah Silverman, to Dick Vitale, to President Jimmy Carter, to Axel and his dad from The Axel Show, to Dua Lipa and the Black Pumas, to whoever wins March Madness, to you. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the madness. Stay frosty. And stay vigilant, America. One shot.